Happy New Year. Come on, let's celebrate. It's a new year. Welcome to 2020 Lost. 2020 Lost. Uh, I'm careful about confessions. I don't really want to say 2021. Do you see the joke? <coughs> anyway, welcome to 2021. Um, it's going to be a fantastic year. Uh, I just have this feeling that it's going to be bursting with opportunity for the Lord to do incredible things in our life. Amen? I mean, 2020 was too, but, you know, 2021, even bigger things are ahead. I'm excited. Uh, just believing that the Lord is um, totally going to invade our homes like never before. I have to just say, it's incredible to see Chase Harris in the audience with us this morning. Gosh, that... He's a man now, but he grew up here, and uh, we just love their family. Their family moved away, and he's visiting today, so it's good to see Chase. Um, anyone, anyone concerned at all by the number of pounds that you gained over the holidays? A, a few of you, okay. I, I lost a few pounds. I gained a few, lost a few, gained a few. I'm not really sure where I landed, um, but at one point I lost a few, so that's just what I'm holding on to. Um, I, I love whenever I have something in the kitchen and both of my boys, Jordan and Tristan, want it, and I say, why don't y'all share it? And I trust that they're going to share it adequately. Do you know what I mean? Like, you take half, Tristan and Jordan, you take the other half. I always sit back and watch how it's divided, though, because that's, it's, it's really interesting. I won't say who, but one of the boys always offers to split it. And the, the line down the middle tends to go a little not in the middle. And he gives his brother the small portion, and he gets the good portion. Anyone have any kids, any, any husbands in the room or men that would do the same thing and you have no shame? Yeah, a few of us. <laughs> a few of us. All right. Well, today I want to talk to you. I've, I've titled my sermon, The Good Portion the good portion. I want to take you to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for this story in Luke 10 that uh, we, we hear so often the comparison and contrast of Mary and Martha. And Father, I ask that you would allow this story to come alive in our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. I want to take a high view of this scripture. I'm going to move pretty quickly today because I have a lot of information to carry, as well as a packet that you received when you walked through the door. We're going to talk about that. So you don't need to uh, meander through that at the moment. I'll walk you through that at the end of today's service. Uh, just stay with me here on Luke chapter 10. Mary and Martha. 
Martha is distracted. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's got a guest in her home. She's, you know, busy doing really good things. But Jesus says that Mary chose the good portion. Now, what's happening here, just to put it into context with you, is that Mary is breaking the law. She's a woman, and women should not be getting teaching from teachers at that time. You know, Bible scholars, the rabbis, the teachers of that time, it wasn't information handed out to women. So Mary is currently sitting at the feet of Jesus, breaking the law. Now, if that weren't bad enough, we take it a a bit deeper because Jesus is allowing her, he's a co-conspirator in the law-breaking that is going on. Yay. He, He realizes that she's sitting there at his feet, she shouldn't be, and he continues to teach anyway. Perhaps even more shocking is that when Martha approaches Jesus, Jesus really gets down to business And he acknowledges the anxiety and the burden that's in the room that Martha is carrying with all that she has to accomplish and all that she has to do. Uh, He understands that it was considerable. Still, he says, hey, Martha, you had a choice. I don't know if you see that in the text or not, but he's saying both of you had a choice. When I walked into the room, you had a choice to stay busy or you had a choice to engage in the good portion. Mary could have been helping in the kitchen, but she made a good choice. She chose the good portion, which the good portion I want to define as devotion to God. Martha could have made the same choice too. I wonder how many of us look around and sometimes we twiddle our thumbs or we get get little twitches because we're upset that somebody else is doing something and the Lord is like, but you had opportunity too. You had choices to be obedient to. You had choices to surrender to. You had choices to make a fool of yourself too, right? That's exactly what's going on here. Jesus holds Martha responsible for her own choice. You and I are also held responsible for the choices that we make. And we will choose in 2021 either the important or the urgent. In 2021, we will choose the important things that aren't really calling out our name to take care of today, but in the long run, it's adding the greatest value to our life. It's adding the greatest value to our family. It's adding the greatest value to our finances. These important things that aren't urgent are things that we should be focused on, But many of us, because right now we are conditioned, church, to live in chaos. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's exactly what 2020 has provided to you and I. Acceptance of chaos. It's become, what's the word? New normal. I hate even saying that. I hate buying into that line. I'm just not going to accept chaos as the new normal for me. Scripture tells me that I can actually call peace normal, right? I can call joy normal. I have a choice in 2021. Will we put, you and I, will we put spiritual disciplines first among our priorities, or will we relegate our devotional practices to those few straggling items that we'll get to eventually? 
I know it doesn't seem that urgent to read your Bible. I know it doesn't seem that urgent to pray. Pastor, I don't need to pray. I pray in the shower. I, I pray whenever I almost hit a car. Or I pray, I pray when my kids come home late. Like I, I get those emergency prayers, but even those are urgent. What about the important, valuable prayers that root us in the DNA of heaven? Like Martha and Mary, we have a choice. Will we choose the good portion? Now let's talk about what the good portion is. I want to break that down for you in the Greek. Look at your neighbor and say, good portion. This time it is allowed to cut that enchilada and get yourself a good portion. All right, church? I want you wanting the good portion this morning. Good, the word good in the Greek is agathos, agathos. And it means benefit, benefit. Portion, some translations say part. Mary chose the good part. But that word part and portion is the word maris. Maris, and it means participation to get a share. So when Luke 10 tells us that Mary chose the good portion, what it's really telling us, it translates to Mary participated in something that was beneficial. You mean to tell me cooking and cleaning is not beneficial? I can almost hear Martha saying. You wouldn't have wanted to walk up in this house before I did the cooking and cleaning. It's, it's, it's beneficial, but the good, the good portion, the thing that is really beneficial is what Martha, Mary did. She chose to worship. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among Believers. So we're taking these next three weeks to talk about spiritual disciplines. And I know just saying the word discipline makes some of you nervous. You're thinking of a switch. You're thinking of a belt. You're thinking of time out. Let's push all that off the table. Spiritual discipline is not about getting you in trouble. Spiritual disciplines are practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers. Our participation benefits us. That is the good portion. Your participation in spiritual disciplines will benefit you. And I hope to prove that to you today on some level. Spiritual disciplines are the good portion. It's not about fulfilling a set of duties and requirements, but choosing to engage in the activities that will produce fruit in our life. Spiritual disciplines, hear me, are the mark of believers that are maturing in their faith. Did you know that you can be a a believer and not be maturing in your faith? There is nothing worse than seeing a 40-year-old man in a diaper drinking from a bottle. But we find 40-year-old Christians regurgitating the same milk year after year after year, refusing to engage in spiritual disciplines. But that is where the growth comes in. And and I'm going to prove that to you today. Jesus prayed, so we should pray. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. By the way, you can join us this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. on campus for Awaken Prayer. Kicking back up. Thank you. Got a couple people excited about that. We love it. No matter how many people show up, we just have such a 
a really good time with the Lord. But Jesus prayed, we should pray. Jesus fasted. We should fast. You know what fasting is? Abstaining from food or drink or activities. I don't know why it's called fast. It should be called slow. Because it seems to take forever, right? Jesus, that is a spiritual discipline. Fasting will cause you to grow spiritually. Uh, Jesus sought solitude. We should seek solitude. Jesus worshiped. We should worship. Jesus served the least of these. We should serve the least of these. We can't be Jesus, but we sure can be like him. And that's the purpose of spiritual disciplines. Now, I'm not going to go through each spiritual discipline and how to pray and how to fast and how to do all of these things. Instead, I want to give you a bigger picture and help you identify what a spiritual discipline actually accomplishes and if it's actually at work in your life. Because sometimes I think we call things spiritual disciplines that aren't really spiritual disciplines. All right? Here are five descriptions of spiritual disciplines. Number one. The Bible describes both personal and interpersonal disciplines. So there are those spiritual disciplines that we practice alone and those that we practice with other Christians. And and this just makes good common sense. It's good to pray alone, and it's good to pray with other people. Do you hear me, church? What we do on Wednesday nights coming together, we are praying individually, but corporately. We're setting time aside in our week to come together to spend time in prayer, and then on occasion, we also pray one with another. And I know, like, next week after service, we're going to have a prayer team so that anyone that wants prayer can come up and get prayer, uh, social distance, however that all works. But prayer isn't meant just to be alone in your closet. You're meant to pray one with another. That is a interpersonal discipline. We are to practice both because Jesus practiced both and because the Bible prescribes both of those for us. So we don't, I don't want us to think that spirituality or spiritual disciplines or spiritual growth is a I do it all on my own scenario. There are things I do on my own and I also come alongside other people and we read the word together or we pray together. Starting tomorrow morning, we're going to fast together for 21 days. I'm going to ask you to fast something, and we'll talk about that. I'm just dropping that seed so you can catch your breath for the next 10 minutes. We're going to fast together. All right, so there are both personal and interpersonal disciplines. Here is another thing, a descriptor of spiritual disciplines. It is that they are activities, not attitudes. We do them. We do them. They're not an attitude, disciplines, or practices. They are things that you do. They are not character qualities. You don't get disciplined by being more joyful. You don't get disciplined by putting a smile on your face when your heart is hurting. That's not a spiritual discipline. Being fake to your brothers and sisters is not a spiritual discipline. Can I get an amen? Are you hearing me? These are These are actually activities that we do. They're not graces. They're not fruit of the Spirit. They are things that we do. And I know the Christian movement is really hardcore against doing, right? Don't do. We can't be saved by what I do. And that's true. Your salvation 
does not hinge at all on the spiritual disciplines that you engage in. Your spiritual growth does. So you read the Bible, that is something that you do. That's a spiritual discipline. You meditate on scripture, that's something you do. We, we pray, we fast, we worship, serve, we return a tithe, that is a discipline. We bring an offering above the tithe, that is a discipline. Those are activities. Now listen to me, the goal of any spiritual discipline is not about doing as much as it is about being. Being like Christ and being with Christ. This is the natural overflow of the spiritual disciplines at work in our life. The Bible, the biblical way of growing in being more like Jesus is through rightly motivated doing of biblical spiritual disciplines. Now, I know I've heard it said before, and no one in this room would ever say something so foolish and ridiculous, but people have said before, I'm sure, on planet Earth, well, pastor, I don't want to get so focused on doing, I don't want to make it legalistic. I don't want to make my relationship with Jesus. I don't want to have to, you know, I'm not going to read the Bible every day. That's, that's legalistic. I wonder if these same people tell their kids to brush their teeth every day. I mean, could you imagine? Brinley, go brush your teeth. No, mommy, that's legalistic. No, it's called hygiene. Right? There is spiritual hygiene that you and I need to do if we're going to be in healthy, mobile, working order. And that's called spiritual disciplines. The key verse in all of this is 1 Timothy 4.7, which says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I love that verse. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That means the goal in all of this, in the Bible reading, in the prayer, in the fasting, in the giving, in the serving, in the what, whatever the spiritual disciplines are, the goal of that is godliness. It's so that you actually look more like Christ at the end of that activity. It's not so that you can check off being a good Christian. I got my prayer in today. I got my Bible reading in today. The goal is godliness. And the practical ways of doing these things uh, in our life discipline ourselves for the purpose only of godliness. So I'll give you an example Joy, for example, you know, not happiness, but joy. We've been talking a lot about joy lately. The Lord has been having Carrie speak on joy, and our Christmas Eve service touched on joy. Um, joy is not a spiritual discipline. That is the fruit or the result of discipline done right in our life. Joy is important, but so many of us are running after an internal state of joy that can't be found by grabbing joy. That's why we keep waking up depressed, wondering why we can't get joy. Because the fruit of the Spirit is birthed in our life when we engage in the spiritual disciplines that the Word prescribes. And by the way, um, you can do them as a Pharisee if you want. You can do spiritual disciplines as a Pharisee. You can do them wrongly motivated, and they will not produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. If, if you are simply giving to the poor for the, your current selfie of the day, your, your Insta-famous help the needy, are you with me? 
That's not going to produce anything in your life. That was actually just your reward. All of the likes that you get, all of the retweets and reshares, I hope it was worth it because that was your reward. You can do them as a Pharisee, but rightly motivated. They are the things we are to do in order to be like Jesus and to be with Jesus. I know all the time I, I find myself in situations where I'm like, God, I'm not hearing you. Uh, my prayers are hitting the ceiling. They're coming back down. I don't feel your presence. I hope that you felt this too, at least a time or two in your Christian walk. And we have to go back to what's the hygiene look like in our life? Are we chasing encounters? Are we chasing experiences? Or are we actually being, having one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control? Are we being disciplined and allowing those encounters to be birthed from a disciplined heart? Amen, pastor. That is so good. The third thing I want to say about spiritual disciplines is they are taught or modeled in the Bible. Spiritual disciplines are taught or modeled in the Bible. I know this feels like a no-duh comment, right? It seems like a no-duh point. The reason that this is important and that you must understand that they are, they are taught or modeled in the Bible, is that otherwise we leave ourselves open to calling anything we want a spiritual discipline. So someone might say, gardening is a spiritual discipline for me. Right? Or exercise. I've actually heard someone say that exercise is their spiritual discipline. And I'm sorry, but gardening is great, but it's not your spiritual discipline. Exercise is great, but it's not your spiritual discipline. Any other hobby that you have or pleasurable habit that you have is not your spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines are taught in God's word, and it is very clear what you and I need to do to grow in our faith and to mature in our faith. It is prayer. It is fasting. It is giving. It is serving. These things are not negotiable. It's very clear. And, and maybe you're saying, but pastor, I feel good when I'm in nature. I feel good when I'm on top of the mountain and the breeze is blowing through my hair and I feel the presence of God. I feel good when I'm at the lake. I feel good when I'm cooking. I, I would respond to that and say, that's normal. You should. Because God is everywhere. You should feel God in all things. But feeling close to God doesn't mean you're spiritually growing. I actually think, and I could give you some proof text for this, but I'm, it's not in my notes, so I don't have time. I'm just going to leave it here, and maybe I'll come back and, and talk about it. I actually believe that the encounters that we feel, that we tangibly feel from God, are not spiritual growth stages. They're recovery stages. I think over and over we see in Scripture that when someone comes against a hard battle or someone has put in the effort to spiritually grow, they're rewarded with the presence of God. I, I won't get too deep into that, but I only want to say, if you're only looking for when you feel good out in nature, when you're gardening, when you're riding on the horse, do we have any horseback riders? I don't even know where that came from. Oh, well, amen. That was for you. Take it, receive it, be blessed. They're taught and modeled in the Bible. One of the problems with the mindset of labeling a hobby or habit as a spiritual discipline is that it can tempt someone to say, well, maybe meditation on Scripture works for you, but gardening works for me. 
And then they began to have a relationship with a God in the garden that's not based on a God in Scripture. Do you see the, the challenge that we have here? The other problem is it leaves us, you and me, geniuses in the room to determine how to grow. We don't actually have to wonder and twiddle our thumbs and how to spiritually grow. The Bible is very clear. You want to grow? Read the Word. You want to grow? Spend more time in prayer. You want to grow? Challenge, in your, challenge yourself in your giving. You want to grow? Start serving. Like these are the spiritual disciplines that ignite growth in our life. Now, a subtle but very important thought is the subtle spiritual, sorry, disciplines found in Scripture are sufficient for knowing and experiencing God. I'll say that one more time. The spiritual disciplines that we're talking about over these three weeks, they are sufficient. That means you don't have to do some weird yoga pose to encounter God. You, you don't have to, you know, if anyone were to come to you and say, well, yes, read your Bible and pray and do X, Y, Z. This is how you get to know God. At the very least, we can say this isn't necessary. It may be helpful, but it's not necessary. But at the very worst, we could say this is a complete distraction to what the Lord has already commanded us to do, which is to read your word, to pray, to fast. We're told in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, including the good work of pursuing godliness, the good work of growing in Christ-likeness. The scriptures fulfill all of that. Fourth point, spiritual disciplines are derived from the gospel, not divorced from it. The gospel the gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you and I. When Jesus took his last breath, he already knew everything that you and I were going to do. He, he knew it. Ta time was no barrier for him. And he willingly gave down his life for you. He rose again on the third day conquering death, hell, and the grave so that you and I can be in relationship with him. The gospel is the meat of Christianity. We have this thing called the ABCs of salvation. I, you know, some people use it and say it, admit that you're a sinner, uh, believe that Jesus is the Lord and that he died for you, confess your sins. The ABCs, we act as if the gospel is, is the shallow part of Christianity. And then once we get that, we go into spiritual disciplines of fasting and reading the word and prayer, and we think that that's really the meat of Christianity. But all of that is birthed out of the gospel. So the more that we fast, the more we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more that we read the word, the more that we understand the gospel and how it applies to our life. The, the more that we pray, the more that we understand just how much we need a savior. Are you, are you understanding the gospel becomes more alive to us when we do the spiritual disciplines. It builds humility, compassion, evangelism. It's all centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then my fifth and final point. Spiritual disciplines are 
means and not ends. The end, that is the purpose of practicing the disciplines, is godliness. I hope in 2021 that you and I become a little bit more like Christ. Godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, we learned in 1 Timothy 4. And so we're not godly just because we do these things. We're not godly because we read the Bible. We're not godly because we fast. We're not godly because we pray. That's exactly what the Pharisees thought. They thought, if I just do these things, then everyone will see that I'm godly. It's not doing these things that makes you godly. It's doing these things that causes transformation in your heart that produces godliness in your life. So my goal, personally, is over the next 21 days, starting tomorrow, is to really challenge myself with 21 days of prayer and fasting. When you walked in today, you got one of these packets. If you'll turn with me, we're just going to skim it. I'm not going to read it. This is a whole two or three sermons in itself. You can take it and read it. If you're watching online, I did send this to you by email a few days ago. If you can't find that, uh, feel free to text 21, that's 21, the numbers 21, to 512-980-1220. You'll get a link for this on your mobile phone or on your, your laptop. This describes fasting. Uh, if you go to page three, it talks about when to fast, what to fast, how to fast. We're going to begin tomorrow. Day one is tomorrow. And while we're fasting, and, and I'll, in just a second, I'll tell you what you can choose. You can choose anything to fast, and we'll get into that. But uh, while we're fasting, we're going to spend extra time in the Word. We're going to spend extra time in prayer. The goal is that fasting will remind us a couple of things. That um, it will remind us that we have really cluttered our hearts and our life and our attention with things that we don't really need. It will allow us to refocus on Christ. And during this week, if you go to page six, it says week one, heart for the house. I'm asking all of us as we fast to really pray for the exchange church, for our local body of believers, um, not just people that show up to church, but we have tons of people right now watching online. They're a family and they want to be here and they are missing their family and, and the tension that's involved with coronavirus and COVID and high risk situations and exposure and all of that. And we understand that. But our family church, I don't know if you know that, our, our family right now is fractured, whether we like it or not. People are hurting. They want to be together that can't be together. So this week I'm asking you, to pray for our church family. Pray for our church body. Turn with me. Page seven. What does the Bible teach about fasting? I won't go over that. I'll let you read that. Page eight. Fasting teaches us that we can go without getting what we want and survive. Fasting expresses and deepens our hunger for God. Page nine. Talks about... Um, before you fast, decide the following up front. How long are you going to fast? Well, we've decided 21 days. We're going to do that together. What kind of fast are you going to do? Are you going to stop eating all food? Well, do whatever the Lord tells you. 
Um, I was going to say I don't recommend that, but you listen to God. I, I've done several of the only water fast uh, this month, just preparing my heart for 2021. Um, and I've made it, uh, I think, 48, two, two 48 hours times. And then my wife said, you want to go to dinner? I was like, yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm going to fast starting tomorrow. I'm going to pray about it and spend time with the Lord, and I'm going to stick to it. And here's the deal. If you fail, it's okay. Just pick back up. This is not to create guilt and shame or condemnation on any one of us. It's not to prove that you're a loser and you can't fast. It is, it is only for us to make space for the Lord in our life, okay? So maybe you're just going to fast breakfast, or maybe you're just going to fast Cokes. <laughs> maybe you're going to fast. I knew someone uh, one time that fasted eating ice, and it sounds like no big deal, but for them, that was a, that was a strong addiction in their life, eating ice. Who would have thunk it? And they fasted eating ice. Some of you might want to fast social media. Some of you might want to, you get the point, right? You can choose what you want to fast. And then when that creates a void in your heart, you fill it with reading God's word and praying. Page 10 explains more about different types of fast that you can do. 10 and 11. So take your time reading that. How many of you, um, just so I know who's with me, how many of you can say, I don't know what I'm going to fast, but I feel like the Lord is calling me to join this 21-day period where as a church, we're going to fast together. All right, good. Many of you. Good. Good. Well, let me pray over you as we head out today. God, I thank you for the faith of your people. God, I thank you that over the next 21 days, as fasting begins tomorrow morning, God, whatever that looks like for each home, God, we're engaging in spiritual disciplines so that the fruit of the Spirit can grow in our life, so that we can spiritually mature. God, we don't know what 2021 holds, but we do know that no matter what it holds, we want and need more of you. God, we want to be like you and we want to be with you. So God, over these 21 days, we ask for the grace to continue pressing into more that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Father, for anyone that's watching in the room or online and they sense a calling to draw closer to you, to know you more, to really make you their Lord and their Savior. God, we say yes to that. We say yes to what you're tugging on our heart. We know that there's no formula. We know, God, that all we have to do is just believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins. Believe that we need a Savior and that he's created a way of escape for us. And when we believe that fully with our heart and we we confess our sins and we surrender our will to you. We become sons and daughters of you. So if there's anyone watching in the room, we make that declaration. We believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe that God came in the flesh, taking the weight of our sin to Calvary. He died on a cross so that we could be in right standing. He took the penalty that we could not pay. 
And on the third day, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And the more that we pray and the more that we read the word, we can see him face to face. We say yes to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Listen, if you just said yes to Jesus, I want you to text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. We love you guys. God bless. Happy New Year.